the book of Jude. Turn to the book of Jude there. Let's see, turn this. Starting in verse number 17 this evening. It says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These they be who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you again this evening in praise and prayer, Lord, and asking you to continue to work like you have been working, Lord, and that you'll continue to answer prayers, even the ones lifted up here this evening. But Lord, I pray that even more that you'll open our eyes to the text this evening, how uh, through the working of the Spirit, you've moved you to take a turn in the last portion of this text. Lord, may you enlighten our eyes, give us the uh, eyes of understanding, Lord. May we be challenged in our hearts to labor for you. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. I find myself at times reading random articles. I, at times, will lose a lot of time just reading random things. And I came by this article the other day about the Great Wall of China. They said that they built this wall so high that no one could ever get through it or get over it. They said they built the wall so deep that no one could ever tunnel through it. I mean, this wall was so stable and strong that it even exists today. They said that after the wall was um, after the wall was completed, that the major emotion inside of China was that all the Chinese people who dwelt with inside the wall believed that their future and existence was now secure because this great wall was built. Within the next hundred years of this great wall being built, China would be invaded and go to war three times, even though this great wall existed but each time this china was invaded through this great wall you know what happened it wasn't that somebody went over the wall it wasn't that somebody went through the wall it wasn't so that somebody went under the wall it was that three different times the gate was left open three different times in the first hundred years of having this great wall one of the guards had been bribed to leave the gate open. You see, great walls 
are only as powerful and strong as the people who are guarding it. If the people who are guarding the Great Wall have no patriotism, they will quickly turn their back to the protection that this wall provides. And so it is that this not only applies to the military world, but this applies to spiritual battles. We know that the Bible says, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but you know who was put here to guard the church? We were. Now, whether you do your job or not, I am not here by any means implying that if you don't do your job, that Satan will prevail against the church. Satan will never fully prevail against the church, but he may prevail against yours. So Jude here in these last verses from 17 to 25 challenges the reader, the believer to be on guard. The letter is now coming to a close. We, we've really went through it in the first 16 verses. We've seen the character of these apostates. We, we've seen the conduct of the apostates. We've seen the crime of the apostates. And even last week, we've seen the conclusion of these apostates. And that, the, that in the end of it all, that the Bible says here, that the Lord will come with 10,000 of his saints. But... Verses 17 through 25 really gives us four ways. Jude gives us four ways how the believer will do well contending for the faith. He says, if you want to be successful against everybody you've just heard about in the first 16 verses, let me tell you how to be successful in a day and age of apostates. First thing he says to be successful in a day and age of apostates, which we'll study tonight, is to remember. Verse number 17. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to be successful, you must first remember. The second thing you must do in order to be successful in the age of the apostates is that you must remain. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You want to be successful in fighting the age of apostates? You not only have to remember what the Lord taught, but you have to remain in it. You can't quit. The third thing he says here is that in order to be successful against these apostates, you're going to have to reach. Verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And he says the fourth thing in order to be successful in this age of apostasy is to finally rest. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne, the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You have to rest in the one who can keep you from falling. Rest in him. Don't rest in your own power. You're never going to be successful in warring against the age of apostasy if you're doing it in your flesh. You have to rest in the Lord and his power alone. 
we studied last week that these, these apostates, they sang the devil's song. They murmured. They were complainers. They walked, about, walked around in their own lust. They spoke swelling words to their own advantage. But Jude says that that judgment, the judgment for these apostates was even yet to come. The great white throne judgment. We said that even the Bible says, the Lord said, he will bring them back up out of the grave and give them a body sufficient to face the judgment that awaits them. But now, verse 17, Jude's tone changes. The way he's speaking is, it changes. He now here is dealing with the believers again. He basically was hot and heavy on the judgment that was yet to come. He was preaching with all power and all strength about how God was going to handle these people. But now after he's exhausted himself, so to say, rebuking these apostates, now he turns to the, 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 the believers in the most tenderest way, a voice of care, a voice of concern, and says, but beloved, beloved. He looks back to the church and says, beloved. You guys who have grown apathetic, you guys who have been stricken with apathy, you guys who it seems that you don't even have the strength to fight anymore. Beloved, you've got to remember what the Lord said. You're not facing nothing new. I think oftentimes we kind of believe that in ourselves, that the things that we face, the reason that we fail so much is because we say, well, the world has only become wickeder. The world's only become worse. Yet the reality of it is, is that this is in the very first century. The apostles aren't even dead, and yet they're facing the same exact things that we face today. There is nothing new under the sun. Apostasy may come in a different cloak, but it's still apostasy. Paul, I mean, um, Paul will challenge them, even uh, Timothy, even in Corinthians, even in Galatians, to stand against these people who preach this false doctrine. But he says here in Jude, but beloved, remember. What a word in the midst of a scathing letter, so to say, that brings sweet relief. I don't know if I can draw your memory back to your childhood, but, you know, when you was younger and your mom would come in and she would start ripping into you guys, I can't believe you guys did this, and you just can feel the intensity of the lecture you're about to get in that moment when she says, not you, but you two. Ah, sweet relief. Verse 17, he says, but beloved, this word right here separates the judgment that was coming from the apostates to whom he's speaking to. He's, he said, yes, I'm speaking to the church as a whole, but beloved, what I'm about to say to you now matters to you. But beloved, there is no sweeter name that exists in all the scriptures than we are the beloved. And beloved is a name that means that you are loved by God. It is what God said about his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This word was never used for angels. Even Lucifer in all of his glory and all of his beauty was never called the beloved. Yet here we stand today 
as the beloved. To say you are beloved, it is to say that you are God's son. He sees you in Christ. One word here brings peace to the ear of the believer and judgment to the apostates. I often try to envision how this letter, when Jude wrote this letter, the original intent to whom it would arrive to. And I just could see this letter being read in the church amongst all the people when he said, But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. One word, one word tears the crowd apart. Where it seems that in verse 4 that these apostates have been able to crack in unaware and hide themselves. Jude says in God's eyes, though you've been able to hide yourself in the church, you have not hid yourself from God. He's speaking directly to the beloved. You may be able to hide yourself in the crowd in the church, but you will not be able to safely sneak your way into the throne of heaven. God sees you. Beloved. Jude says, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've ever told me anything to remember, you already know I forget. It's not intentional, but I fail to remember things. Matter of fact, I guess I should take it as a compliment that one brother sent me a, a calendar for this year to help me to remind myself of events to come. But even at home, my wife will constantly come to me. She'll tell me of an event that's coming up, and she'll follow up afterwards and say, don't forget, remember, Remember, and it seems that even without fail, matter of fact, it just happened Tuesday night or Monday night with Caleb's driving class. She said, hey, remember? I said, I didn't say that. She goes, oh, Daniel Ray. Yes, you did. Remember? And she starts going through not only the first time she told me all about it, but she begins to remind me of all the different times that she reminded me about the time she told me about it. What she's really trying to do is she's trying to pin me down to a place where I face the music and I can no longer escape the truth that I have retained the knowledge that she's trying to bring me to a place to remember. Jude says here, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is trying to bring the believers here to a place where they are without excuse. You cannot be held accountable to something you did not know. I can't be forced to remember someone I've never met. But Jude says, remember. He's holding them accountable for the information they already had. Remember, at this time when Jude was being written, most of the New Testament was already completed and in circulation. Completed and in circulation. Why is this so important that it's in circulation? These believers had the word of God. The reason it's important that they had it in circulation and they had readable access to it is because they will be forced to remember Remember how you knew this truth 
and you failed to hold it? Remember how you knew that that was against God's word and yet you allowed it in the house of God? Remember? Remember, brethren. Remember what the apostles said. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. In Luke chapter 16, when we read about that text there, when Lazarus dies and the rich man dies, and they arrive there, and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man is in hell, and there's this great gulf between them. What is, when the rich man asked for but a drop of water, what was brought to his attention? He said, remember? Remember in your life when you had comfort? And remember in your life when Lazarus did not. Remember in your life when you, you, you received good things. And remember in your life when Lazarus received evil things. Here even further the rich man would be even brought to a greater memory. As he would start to recall, well what about my five brothers who existed in this world? You see, the rich man was called to events that he remembered. He was called to events that he knew that was true. We are never called to, to knowledge of events and moments and truths that we had no previous knowledge of. As I said, you cannot remember someone you have never met and you cannot remember something you have never knew. Yet, Jude says, remember the teachings that you had. The reality is this. This doesn't just apply to his original audience. It applies to us today. As this epistle is written to all of us in an age of apostasy. Remember that you will be held accountable to the same Bible you carry in here underneath your arms or in your hands. God holds you responsible for your own theology. He holds you responsible for his teachings. You will not be able to proclaim, I did not know when you did know. You will not be able to say, I'm sorry, I forgot that. So, so why is this so important? Because Jude's message even to us is that in order to face these apostates in the age of apostasy, we must remember the word of God. It is the only way we'll be able to face the wiles of the devil. It is the only way we'll ever be able to stand for truth is if we remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ taught us. Remember the word of God that was not only written, but it was circulated. They had it. It was in their very hands. He tells these believers, you knew the truth. And even more. I can just imagine really the, the frenzy because we still even hear it today. Can you really believe how wicked the world is? Yes, of course. And that's what Jude's telling them. Of course, you knew that this day was coming. You knew that there was an age of apostasy coming. You knew that there was an age of falling away. You knew that there was a time coming where men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. And so we're called to remember we have already been warned about these truths. Uh, Paul preached about these people who would creep in unaware. He warned the Ephesians. He warned the Colossians. He told the Galatians, hey, who did bewitch you that you would so, so soon be removed from the one who saved you. 
And so we're reminded today to, to remember that there is a group of people that there are people even in our day and age who come and try to present themselves as angels of light, but they're truly angels of darkness. They know not the truth, they hold not the truth dear, and they love not our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is this surprising to us? Absolutely not. Because even in our Lord's three and a half year earthly ministry, he warned of this day that which would come. And even before we get out of the book of Genesis, we're warned that a judgment will come for these people who do these things. Remember the word of God. Remember that if we are unable, unable to wield truth, not unable to have truth, there's a difference. It's not that we're unable to have truth. It's that we have allowed ourselves to become so complacent. This is what happened to the church to whom Jude's writing to. They knew truth. They had truth. They had the word of God, yet they had become complacent. These men had crept in. When they had stood up, the true worshipers of God stepped down. They sat down. They didn't stand up on the word of God. Why is this so important? Because apostates run their business upon the backs of the ignorant. As long as we're ignorant, apostasy will be just fine. As long as we're ignorant to the truth, they will be allowed to flourish in the church. Remember what 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, when Paul told Timothy, he said, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does that mean? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now, how can you be ashamed if you're working for God? Yet he says, a workman that needeth not to be in ashamed. In the trades, when I was in the trades doing refrigeration, there was people who could get things done. And there were people who could get things done right. Now, both brought about the results that it was good. But, you know, when it came to the people who can get things done, the worst thing that could ever happen to those group of people is somebody would come and audit their work. When somebody would come and audit their work for the people who would get things done, you would soon find out that they had cut corners, that they had uh, done away with, I guess, safety steps. Nothing is more embarrassing for a guy like that, like I said, than when an inspector shows up. And when it comes to serving the Lord, as Paul points out in 2 Timothy 2.15, a workman can be ashamed. Wow, how? When he's pulled away by personalities, when he follows the popular group, when he follows friends, instead of heeding to truth, that's when a workman is ashamed. It's not that you've been disbarred from ministry. It's that you was bamboozled because you failed to study the word of God. And as long as we study to show ourselves approved, not unto Timothy, not unto Phil, we're not here to study the word of God so that I can quote a verse from mine so that I can impress the church. I, I want to study to show myself approved unto God. 
for God to look down upon me and say, he's with me. We fellowship together in the word. And he is rightly dividing the word of truth against an age of apostasy. Even more, we are called here to follow truth. Follow the truth that we carry in here every week. And really, we're called by God to, to study and to get proper theology. Your theology cannot be based upon what does my pastor believe. It just won't work. You can't defend apostasy based on what your pastor believes. And yet it seems that we're so surprised about the way the world is. Just a little over there in Timothy, as I was looking there at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, my eyes couldn't miss this passage here. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of, from such turn away. And even more, they knew it. And yet they knew it in their day. And we have the same truth today. And we have the same warnings that he gave the Galatians about being bewitched and the Ephesians and the Colossians. And yet we see in this letter, we're still being called to remember. Remember, we cannot ever leave doctrine. I've said this before here, and I'll say it again. If you want a church to grow, you must be fed doctrine. Matter of fact, when you see that the early church was flourishing, it says that they continued steadfastly what? First, in the breaking of bread? No. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, then the breaking of bread. Because truth is more important than food. Truth is the most important thing that we have in this life. It's not to say that you can't take an unbeliever out and, and give them the word, but it does mean that you better be careful to whom you eat with and take advice about the word from. You know, I read this and my mind is brought back to even this, but beloved, remember ye the words that were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ of all the different churches that Paul visited. One of the people who was never reminded of, of this was the Bereans. You know why? When you read Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, the Bible says that every time they heard the word of God, you know what they did? It says they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They were students. They weren't easy to be bamboozled. They weren't easy to be tricked. They weren't easy to be pulled away by these foolish apostasy and the teachings of these apostates. Why? Because they studied the word of God. Remember ye the words that were spoken of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our first line of defense against the age of wickedness is the word of God. And remember... 
I mean, even recently, I mean, in the time in which Jude was written, Peter had already been written. They had already received Peter, even at that. And it had already been recirculated amongst the believers. And he said, knowing this, that even in the last days, scoffers shall come walking in their own lust. And yet they're still here. They're here. They're coming. They're even more. The age has even arrived here. It has flourished, but even more. Jude says here, while you're remembering what the Bible says, okay, while, while you're remembering the doctrine that was taught by the apostles, he also says in order to be able to stand against the apostates, you got to remember three things. You got to remember what the Lord said, you got to remember what the apostates said, and you have to remember why they said it. So in verse 18, he says, remember what the unbelievers said. How that they told you, how the meaning of the apostles, the apostles told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly lust. In verse 18, this thought of they walked after their own godly lust, it means that these people, uh, they denied the truths of God's word. They didn't want to live what, how God's word commanded. They wanted to live how their own desires commanded them. They wanted to live to satisfy their flesh. They wanted to live to satisfy their desires. I mean, Jude really says, when you remember the apostates, you can summarize it in one way. They walked after their own ungodly lust. They were sensual. They didn't love the truths of God's word. This is what the unbelievers said. They were always pointed towards something that would be satisfactory to their flesh. Every time, it didn't matter whether it was in the house of God. Remember what we said about the Feast of Charity, that love feast. They, they, we, the Bible says that they were hidden reefs in that. Meaning that when they came to this love feast, this, this Feast of Charity, in Acts, I think, I can't remember the exact test, text, it speaks of the Feast of Charity, and it's pretty much equal to the fact that we come here and have worship, and we go next door and eat afterwards. So we get together and we have this time. So he says, these people are hidden reefs. They, you're coming in for this time of uh, sharing and feasting and, and loving each other with the word of God and they're hidden reefs. Everything seems to be good. You're thanking God for his bountiful supply and somehow these hidden reefs sink the ships. You come up short to shore and they make it all about themselves. And so he says, these people, in verse 18, who walk after their own ungodly lust, even in the house of God, they were taking things that was meant to give God praise and making it all about themselves. It didn't matter whether it was the Feast of Charity. It didn't matter it was in the house of God. They wanted to speak highly like we seen last week, but it was only to take advantage. It wasn't for the truth of God's word. They wanted to be fluent in their speech so that they could take advantage of the ones who were listening. Not that souls could be saved. And so he said, they walked after their own ungodly lust. He said, so remember what the unbelievers said. 
And not only remember what the unbelievers said, but here in verse 19, he says, now remember why the unbelievers said this. You have to remember why they are even behaving this way. In order for us to be able to combat the age of apostasy, we have to hold true to our doctrine, what the Bible teaches us. Then we have to look out and see people who are teaching in opposition to the doctrine instead of befriending them and trying to get them on the right path, so to say, you says, knock it off. I'm going to explain to you why they even behave this way. They don't need education. They need the gospel. He says in verse 19, this is why they behave this way. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. This is why they said it. Remember that. This is why they said this. This is why they said these things against our Lord. Because they don't have the Spirit. They're void of the Spirit. They don't know the truths of God's Word. They are, as he said earlier, twice dead, plucked up by the root. They don't bear fruit. They're clouds without water. They are not alive. They are physically alive, yet they are spiritually dead. They've never been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They're frauds. They were faithful in lip service, alone. This is why they behave this way. When we see people combating scriptures and manipulating scriptures for their own benefit, this isn't like we should step back and say, oh, brother, and you do err. It is, oh, these people are in opposition to the truth of God's word, and they desperately need the gospel. Listen, it is an all-out offense to mar the trinity to uh, allude that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God. These religions that we see today, it's, it's so heartbreaking to even speak. I, there was a man who used to do general construction for United Dairy Farmers, and he was Jehovah Witness. And he would always combat back and forth with me. Well, Jesus didn't die on a cross. He, he died on a stake. And even more... Jesus Christ wasn't the son of God. He was Michael, the archangel's brother. I mean, um, Michael's brother. What fraud is this? What foolishness to the doctrine? Listen, this isn't to say, oh, you're confused. Let me point this out in scripture. You've, just, you've erred from the truth altogether. You don't even have the gospel. It should make us quiver when we hear people say these things. This isn't that they've wandered astray. This is that they need the gospel. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, he said, they profess that they know God. They, this is what they did. But in works, they deny him. Being abominable and disobedient and to every good work reprobate. That's where they are. In lip service, everything seems to be good. But in the end, in their works, they deny him. They'll tell you that God is the way. They'll tell you that Jesus is the way as long as you'll send them money for the jet. They'll tell you that Jesus is the way and that he believes he's the way. And that matter of fact, Jesus spoke to him last night in a dream to, a, to literally, I mean, these are real events. 
to bless these 5,000 bottles of water that if you'll pour out upon your head in prayer, God will heal you. And the first 5,000 who make a $250 donation, these people, uh, you're going to be healed. And they sell out within minutes. This is why Jude says, listen, I've already told you about their end. Remember this, three things. Again, remember what the Lord said. Remember what the apostles said in their doctrine. Remember even more what the apostates said, and even more, remember why they said it. And even next week, we'll come back and see even more what Jude challenges them again. He says, listen, now, even in all of these things, you can't quit. You can't quit. You cannot be discouraged by these apostates and quit. You can't look out and see these mega churches with these five and six and seven and eight thousand people. I don't even like to call them churches. These mega social gatherings. You can't look out and see how successful they seem to be and look at our crowd here tonight and become discouraged. You have to remain. You have to hold fast. You have to hold tight. You have to cling to the truth. You cannot quit. If you're going to be successful in the age of apostasy, the one way to let apostasy grow is to not remain, to not hold fast, to not support places where truth is being exalted. Before I preach next week's sermon now, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to be here in your word. Lord, I know that even beforehand, prayers were lifted up, those in need, those who were sick, those who need to be encouraged, and yet we even heard encouraging news. People are getting better. You're still saving, and Lord, you're still using weak little vessels like us as instruments to point people to you. Lord, I pray that you'll help us this week that We'll leave out of here remembering the truths that we've read in your word. Remembering even more that uh, we're accountable for those things. And even in the day, Lord, we'll be without excuse, even at the Bema Seat. As we stand before you, Lord, I, I fear to believe all those tears that are spoken of in Revelations chapter 20 and 21. Lord, all those tears in our eyes is because of how we failed you, knowing the truths that we knew from your word, and yet did not stand up for them. Lord, be with us this evening. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with our members, Lord, who are facing procedures and uh, further treatment um, for their situations that they're in. Lord, we thank you for the victories that they've had even in these situations. You've been so good to us, Lord. Lord, if there be any in our church who is weak and wandered astray, Lord, absent from this membership, Lord, we pray that you call them together, Lord. Bring them here. Lord, may we encourage one another, burden our hearts to reach out to them, Lord. Lord, we, uh, I believe that there's a lot of purpose you still have for us here, Lord. Lord, help us to focus in. We give thanks to you for all that you've done, more than we can even mention. In Jesus' name, amen.